0: This morning we're going to uh, we're going to uh, go into God's word, and I just want to pray that that uh, this morning that God would help me through this morning with clear presentation uh, of what His word is saying. So let's pray together, and then we're going to dive right into Acts twenty. So Father, this morning I just thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. That your grace is sufficient for me this morning, Father. I pray that. Uh, The things I would say would be uh, accurate to your truth. And Father, where there is inaccuracy, Father, I pray you would fill it in with your mercy and your grace. And Lord, we pray these things this morning in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, um, on the screen I have a map, I'm going to dive right in. And just to say that uh, from uh, about Acts 17, 18 on to about 21, uh, we're experiencing the life and times of Paul and his third journey, his third missionary journey. And so I just have, I, because you know I like maps, uh, I have the map. I find uh, when I'm reading, especially at the beginning of chapter, seven, or chapter 20, uh, there's a lot of places named and he's going from here to there. And within about three or four sentences, it tells you all these places that he went. Uh, it's really good to be able to have a map and say, oh, okay, well, that's where that place is. That's where that place is. And uh, you get a real good sense of, of uh, the geography of the area. It can really help you. So I'm not going to really go further than that. But uh, when you're reading Acts, it's always good to have uh, the, the maps next to you. And so in the English Standard Version study Bible, whether you're reading it online or whether you're reading it hardcover paper, uh, the maps are really excellent, as would be any study Bible. So uh, to get right to it... Um, if you're into titling things, if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to title this "The Gospel of God's Grace," and um, we're going to read from Acts 20 from 17. And so we've just finished last week, where um, well, Don was here last last Sunday, but prior to that, Joe had preached, uh, and uh, was was the topic was really deliverance, and uh, from there, from uh, Ephesus, uh, Paul and his group, they were moving on, and uh, there had been quite a row created in Ephesus, and now uh, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him, and when they came to him, came to him he said to them, now this is the only speech of Paul's to Christians in the book of Acts, where he's speaking just to the Christian leaders, and uh, it was really interesting, a couple of years ago, together on a mission, the International New Frontiers Conference terry spoke on this passage it was actually a very moving passage but here's paul and uh, he says to them you yourselves know how i lived among you the whole time from the first day that i set foot in asia serving the lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the jews how i did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Wow. So Paul, he knows by the Holy Spirit speaking to him that he's going to a place where he knows that imprisonment is coming. I mean, God had spoken to him. You know, that's a pretty powerful statement just in and of itself.
1: But I do not account my
0: life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. It's like you see the emotion in what he's saying, and how how they would have been receiving that. All of the leaders that were there. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so he's basically saying there, if you're wondering what that statement means, he's he's saying that I preached without any apology the truth of God. And so all of you and all of those that have heard my word that I spoke and those that you've preached to have heard the clear truth of the gospel so that you're without excuse. It's really what he's saying. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to, the, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Wow. And I mean, it goes on after that and it talks about they were all crying and they were hugging him. And it was quite a scene as he was departing them. And so this morning... I just want to key in on a few, gr- a few verses that focus in on God's grace. And so number one, Paul's ministry itself as testimony of God's grace. And so our root scripture here for this is just this one from 24B. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. First of all, you've got to understand that the gospel is good news for Paul, for you, and for me. The Gospel is good news. The Gospel is something that begins with God. The Gospel is always initiated by God, the God of salvation. He seeks us. If you're here this morning and you think that you're seeking God, the Bible actually, and you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian and you think you're seeking God, I have to tell you this morning that you're wrong. The Bible says in the book of Romans that nobody seeks God, that nobody is capable of seeking God. We can't seek God unless God, by his spirit, draws us to himself. And sometimes we think that we are the ones that are seeking God when actually all along it's God's spirit that's enabling us to do so. When I became a Christian, it was God's spirit that drew me for years, years prior to that. I don't know about you, but I remember when I became a Christian after jesus raised me to new life i all of a sudden could see going back years these little benchmarks along the way where where it was evident that god's spirit was working in my life prior to understanding the gospel prior to being raised to new life in christ i couldn't see it i couldn't see it because i didn't have eyes to see it but god's spirit was working and you know what folks god's spirit has done the same thing with you if you know him and if you don't know him, today, this morning, it's part of that process. If you don't know him, Jesus is calling you to himself. If you're here and you're, you're within the sound of my voice and you've been able to experience worship this morning, it's part of your process. It's part of the process of salvation that Jesus is drawing you to himself. See, it's in his plan. It's in his plan to draw you. And it's different for Everybody. Everybody's experience of how they come to Jesus is different. Mine is totally, totally different than yours. I grew up not knowing anything about the gospel. I grew up really just bouncing around. I knew that I wasn't happy. But my experience might be different than yours. Perhaps you grew up in a church. Perhaps you grew up in the church and, and you, you heard the gospel message all your life. But there was, a point, there was a point somewhere that just because you heard the gospel all the time didn't mean you were a believer. At some point, you had to respond to it. At some point, it had to quicken in your heart. Being around the gospel all the time doesn't make you a, a Christian any more than being in a, in a garage all the time will make you a car. It doesn't work that way. You don't inherit salvation from your parents. You receive salvation by virtue of the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. You see, what he did with Paul is he stopped them short on the road to Damascus. I love the way Matt Chandler talks about it. If you haven't listened to any or watched any of Matt Chandler's messages, I urge you to do so. Great preacher. But he says about Paul that he blew Him up on the road to Damascus. He blew Him up. I just love that expression. He got hold of Paul. That he arrested, Jesus arrested him on the road to Damascus. And he changed his life. He changed his life. He saved him that day. Perhaps this morning you're on a similar road. Perhaps you're on a road and, you know what, you have intention to do something at the other end of that road. But I have to tell you that God is in the business of blowing us up. He's in the business of changing our life. He's in the business of taking hold of us and readjusting the direction in which we're going. He does it. You're powerless to do it in and of yourself. You see, God's grace, we sung about it this morning, is being sufficient for us and so on. But God's grace, like God chose us In Christ, before the foundation of the world. You see, it predates you. God has an eternal purpose for you. Even before you were born. Even before you were thought of, God had a place for you. God loves you that much. Hard to conceive of, isn't it? Hard for me to conceive of, that's for sure. It says in Psalm 139... My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Wow. It's like every person in this room, every person in this room, your salvation was planned before the foundation of the earth, before you even thought of, before you were even substance. It's an amazing thing. See, it's God's provision. God's grace is a provision for you. He provides that for you. He provides his grace that goes before, before us. Before the day you were born. I was born April 5th, 1959 but God's grace was there for me and provided for me before the foundation of the earth. That's how special you are in the sight of God. The same can be said for all of you. Paul's own story is testimony of the grace of God. Paul never forgot about his grace. You You can almost see the, you know, when Paul's speaking to them, you can almost see the rewind film, you know, like the, the the movie of his life playing backwards. I was reflecting on Paul's life this morning, you know, and all the things that he experienced. All the things that he experienced. I mean, we know what he was before he was a Christian. We know what he did. He persecuted and killed Christians. That was his life's ambition. As a Pharisee Jew, that's what he was up to. But we know what he did after Christ redeemed him. We know all of the wonderful things that he did. We know all the things that, some of them, that befell him the beatings, the stonings. We know the miraculous things that took place, the corrections that he gave. All of it testimony to the grace of God. Paul always had a sense of wonder when it came to his salvation. Maybe this morning we need to do a reality check. Do we have a sense of wonder about our salvation? Do we really know what it means to have this relationship with Christ? Do we, do we understand the fact that when you walk down the street, that you can communicate with the living God without even saying anything? You can be in close proximity to the Father. Do we have that kind of awareness of our salvation? I remember one day, I was feeling quite low. This was a long time ago. I remember walking across the Westmoreland Bridge and and I was having a very rough time. And as I was walking across the bridge, um, I was just saying, God, I wish you would show me that you love me. Show me, like, could you show me that you love me? I just want to know that you love me. It was like one of those times where it's like, doink, all of a sudden, God, in His grace... Spoke to me by his spirit, and he says, Gary, would you just remember the cross? And I'm looking for something, you know, I'm looking for something else. And Jesus takes me, or God takes me right back to the cross. He takes me right back to the grace of God displayed at the cross when Jesus gave himself for me. He says, There, I love you. See? Changes everything when we appreciate. Our salvation. We need to be continually amazed at how amazing Grace really is. That's why, you know somebody said, "Well, how, many, how come you can read a book with 287 pages and talking about the same thing over and over again?" It's amazing. It's amazing. We're so undeserving. But God is so gracious that He gives us glimpses into appreciating and understanding the relationship that we have with Him. Thirdly, Paul's race, Paul's course. He was always, these were signs of God's grace. He testified all the time in everything. The things He said, in how we approach things, and in His attitude about things. And in his lifestyle, I mean, he visited the church at Corinth. And if it was the Old Testament, he would have been calling down lightning on them. But his attitude was one was, no, I've got to restore these guys to truth. I've got to get them to understand what it means to, to be covenant believers in Jesus. I've got, to, I've got to get them to understand that their lifestyle matters. That when you're having communion, it's not right, it's not okay To be having sex with one another. In the room. Together. doesn't work that way. If it was the Old Testament, guess what they would have been doing? They would have been calling down lightning. They would have been all over, folks. We have examples of that in the Old Testament. And that's not to say that God's justice isn't met. That's not to say that God isn't angry at those things. He is. But God gives us grace. And Paul Use the example of the Corinthians to us, to remind us of the redemptive power of the cross in our error. That he doesn't kill us, he brings us back to a reality that says, you know what? The justice of God is met in Christ at the cross. Paul knew there was a cost to his testimony as well. He knew what it was going to cost him when he opened his mouth. He knew that he would cause riots. And he did. He didn't hold back. See, he loved God more than his reputation. He loved God more than what people thought about him. I have to ask myself the question, like, do I love God more than my reputation? God gives us opportunities at times to demonstrate that in our lives. It says in Romans 5, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. When we go through difficult times, the suffering that we go through, it produces an enduring power. And that endurance produces character in us. Do we see it that way? Do we really see God's grace as building character in our lives when we're going through the endurance of our sufferings? Do we really see it that way or are we moaning about it? Yeah? I'd have to say that I moan, I complain. And then God God turns my head. He says, can't you see that I'm building an enduring power in your life? That I'm building character in your life? And then that character, when you get that character built in your life, it produces hope. And the hope doesn't put us to shame. And why is that? It's because the evidence of the love of God being poured in our lives by the Holy Spirit is proof that God's grace is working in us. It's amazing, this grace. Paul was gripped by grace to the extent of not caring for his well-being. He preached the cross. And he acknowledged that it was a stumbling block to the Jews. To the Jews, it was an offense. To the Greek, it was foolishness. Because it wasn't intellectual enough. It wasn't, it wasn't smart enough. So on one side, he's, he's, he's offending religious sensibility, and on the other side, he's, he's really offending the mind and pride. Because ultimately, anybody that comes to Jesus has to lower their pride. They have to swallow it. They have to take a pill and say, okay, I could be wrong here. Paul says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech. He didn't come with with lofty speech, he says in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter two or wisdom. He didn't come having to embellish things. He says, for I decided he made a decision. He made a choice because, you see, Paul was one of the most brilliant orators of his time. He says, I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ in him crucified. Does that mean he didn't adjust his message? No. Does it mean he didn't contextualize the message to adjust to the people he was speaking to? Absolutely not. But he was relying on the power of the gospel. Secondly, grace is the source of salvation. And Paul hammers this home. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. He's speaking to the leaders here in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers talk a lot about that because there's people today that will say you don't need to have church and you don't have to have community and you don't need leadership. You don't have to go there. That's a message for another day. But obviously, you'd have a hard time defending that one just in this verse. made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained by what? With his own blood. See, the reality is there's a need there's a need The need is, is that mankind has a problem. Mankind has this issue. Mankind's fallen. We're rebellious. We're guilty. We're unclean. And at the end of the day, we're condemned because of it. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that sin entered the world through Adam's willful violation of God's commandment regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He made a conscious choice. Oh yeah, I know, Eve ate first. But who did God ask for after the fact? Did he ask for Eve? Who was responsible? Adam stood around like a passive moron and didn't do anything to help Eve out. Who was responsible? Adam was. Adam, where are you? The result, man was cursed. All of mankind is cursed as a result. Because of, you see, God's standard of holiness had been broken. It's not a fairy tale, the Garden of Eden. Actually happened. Man's cursed. Separated from God. Because God's a holy God. God has wrath towards sin. He can't stand in the presence of sin. And so man is separated. There's a spiritual death that takes place. There's, a, there's physical death that, that comes about. And on top of that, man and woman is given pain and labor. Man, to toil by the sweat of his brow. And woman, to experience pain and childbirth. Is in the Word. They're constant reminders. You see, these things are constant reminders of the fall of man. It's just that our society forgets it forget the reminders I'm not gonna I'm gonna generalize but let's let's think about this men when men don't work when men don't have a purpose in their work men be very frustrated men feel empty they feel I have no purpose All of Adam's descendants, that's us, we inherit the consequences of sin. And on top of that, the predisposition to sin personally. All you have to do to, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. If you walk into the bookstore, the biggest section in the bookstore is what? Self-help. If you go down to the bookstore on on King Street, I like going in there because I like a local bookstore. So, you go down into the bookstore, it's probably the biggest section they have. Go to chapters, it's one, definitely one of the biggest sections up there the self help section. And it doesn't, you know, I mean, you just have to look around the world to know that there's problems. We have problems here. We have cultural problems, we have societal problems, we have global, national problems. And to drill it right down, we have individual problems. In my line of work, I see it every day. I see it exponentially, actually. It's like we have a problem. That problem is sin. I remember reading in the courts a couple of weeks ago, and the account it was this really shameful crime this guy did. And he says, the, the guy made a statement on his behalf before he was sentenced. He says, I don't know who that was. That wasn't me. Yeah, it was. That was me too, though. Right? That was me too. That's really who we are. It says in Romans 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Man is not basically good. If you believe that, as a Christian, we've got to have a conversation. We're not basically good. We inherit this thing called sin. And it's a pretty dismal situation. A penalty has to be paid for sin. But there's good news. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, it says. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. We sang about that every song this morning. That we're united with Christ. By grace we've been saved. See, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Perfect, obedient, innocent, pure, anointed. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the sin problem. Christmas, awesome. You see, some people say, "Why does Jesus? Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Why? Why was Mary impregnated by the Holy Spirit? Why? Why? Why did that happen? What's up with that?" You see. People sometimes say, how can you put the virgin birth in a closed-fisted thing? Like, this is one thing we don't negotiate on. Jesus had to have been born of a virgin impregnated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Closed-fisted. As a Christian, that can't be over here. It can't be one of those things where, oh, we can waffle on that one. Because, as we've just read... Sin came into the world through one man. The DNA of sin follows every man afterwards. And in the economy of God, it's the man who carries the descendancy. And so somewhere along the line, we sing that song, sin is broken. Well, sin was broken at the cross, but sin couldn't have been broken at the cross if Jesus wasn't born of the Father a different dad he had a different dad and because of that he had a different DNA he's got a perfect DNA a sinless DNA a DNA that 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 would never be corrupted that wouldn't sin perfectly obedient this Jesus born from the spirit the Christmas season that's why the angels were singing that's why there's a big star over the stable Jesus was born of a virgin. That's incredible, folks. That's incredible. Sin is broken. All of heaven rejoicing because of what was coming. Finally, finally, redemption draws near. The God-man never sinned, perfectly obedient, fulfilling the law of God, lived as a man, experienced life like we do, See, we needed a new Adam. We needed a new Adam who would obey, first of all, all of the Father's commands. He could fulfill the law perfectly. The law that was laid down to Moses, he could fulfill all of it. Not one bit of it did he not fulfill. Actively fulfilling the law of God. And secondly, he provided obedience to be credited to us. You see, when he died on the cross, there was a passive obedience to allow himself to be put to death. Theologians call that the passive obedience of Christ. That he allowed himself to be given up. Because at any time, he could have called down 10,000 angels. He didn't. He was always aware of his divinity. But he allowed himself to redeem us. It says in Romans chapter 5, and this is amazing. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. In other words, what God gives us isn't like what Adam did. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. It says in verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass or sin, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We have got an amazing, amazing father. All of a sudden, we are part of him. Jesus did this in sacrifice on the cross. He loved for us when we hated God and man. He gave for us when we were selfish, self-centered, He was pure for us when we were polluted with sin. He did all of this as our substitute. He took it upon himself. Therefore, it says in Romans 5, we are ambassadors for Christ. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. It's the miracle of salvation. He took upon himself on the cross... The penalty that was due us. He absorbed the wrath of God on himself. He became sin. Every sin that you ever have committed. Every sin that you'll commit today. Any sin that you will commit tomorrow. Are taken on his shoulders 2,000 years ago. Eternally absorbed. Weighted down on his shoulders. He took it all for us. And for every person that's ever been born. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that is? I can't. Jesus becomes sin. He fulfills the requirements of the law and satiates or satisfies the wrath of God. It's called propitiation. Big word. Basically, in a nutshell, God's not mad at us anymore. I can't even believe it when theologians say that God's not angry with sin. Yeah, he is. He's still wrathful towards sin. But guess what? Because of Jesus, he absorbs it, takes it upon himself so that we don't get wrath, we get righteousness. That is something to be thankful for, folks. You get righteousness, you're made holy, and you have redemption. On top of that, you have the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus living in your lives by virtue of the Holy Spirit. That is powerful. By uniting with Christ in his death, by faith, if we believe it, here's what happens. You're dead to the guilt of sin. You're made righteous. You're justified. And the way to remember that is just as if I hadn't sinned. If you're walking around feeling all bad about yourself, just remember that you're justified. It's just as if you did nothing wrong. We're dead to the dominion of sin. We're no longer slave to it. We are dead to its reign. The power to enslave us is broken. You don't have to be enslaved to sin. You don't have to be under its... Under its chains anymore. In our oneness with Christ, in His substitutionary death, we have done what He did, so we're discharged from the mastery of sin. We died with him. Then, the good news: three days after his crucifixion, he's raised to life. Death is defeated. Resurrected, we receive His life, and we have relationship with God. The bottom line is, we have a new self. We have a new identity. Our identity is not in what it used to be. Our identity is with Christ. What do we have to do to do that? What is required for us to be in Him? We believe, and that's it. We respond by faith. The response Is that we repent. And we ask God. To give us. His life. We lay down. Our objectives. We lay down our idolatries. We lay down our former identity. Our identity isn't in our stuff anymore. Our identity isn't in our past relationships anymore. Our identity is not in how much money we had. Our identity is not in our families. Our identity is not in our sexual identities. Anymore our identity is in christ we have a new nature and yes we do battle we do battle with the flesh but the kingdom of god is now and not yet we have this new identity that helps us empowered by the holy spirit we can experience the guarantee of salvation we experience the guarantee of salvation because it says and now i command you to god And the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. See, grace leads us to faith in Christ. And it keeps us believing to the end. When you become a Christian, you now have the power because he fills you with his spirit. You have the power to overcome sin. It doesn't have to rule over you anymore. Grace leads us homeward to God. It's an amazing truth. Grace and the Holy Spirit. You see, we get a new energy from God to live for him. We now have grace to say no to sin, whereas before we were powerless to do so. Because we were dead. You're dead to righteousness. You're dead to the good things you can do. I remember before I was a Christian, I found it so difficult to do the right thing. couldn't do it oh i could do it once in a while but it's not really what i wanted to do but now i live that i might love god i have a new set of motivations see now when i fall into temptation i can get up if i've sinned i can get up and i experience forgiveness for sins as i said forgiveness eternally and they're all taken care of at the cross And the obvious question is, it's a scandal, this grace, I know. The obvious question is, well, then I can do anything I want. Does that mean I can do everything? I can do whatever I want to? Absolutely not. By no means, Paul says. I mean, he's just like, exclamation mark. No. He anticipated that one. Right? He anticipated it. If you're truly converted, if you've truly responded to the gospel of grace, if God has actually filled your life with his spirit then your motivation is going to be to please him. So if you have to ask that question, I'd have to question as to whether you really know Jesus. Do You get that one? Like, if I, if I have to ask the question, oh, then I can do anything I want, then I have, to, I have to be educated by being in the word to understand, no, this is what it means. We live our lives through the glory of God. God puts in us a new set of motivations. See, we remember God's grace. God's grace is for salvation, as we've just heard. It's also for everyday life. And so, in a sense, we end this morning with where we began, with Paul. We're always needing to reflect on the grace that God has given us. We reflect on the substitutionary death of Jesus and the fact that he pours out his Holy Spirit in our hearts that gives us the ability to live for him together in this community we call the local church. I mean, who would have thunk it that this bunch, you bunch, would all be together on December the whatever it is, 11th, 2011? Can you imagine? Would there be anything else that could draw us all together but Jesus? We're drawn together by grace, folks. There's such a diversity in this room. Different personality types all over the map, different interests, different careers, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different standings in the world. I mean, it's all here, different cultures. What else but the grace of God could do that? There's clubs all over the world, right? Right across from the school that I'm, that I, that I'm at, there's the Kinsmen Club. And the Kins, or Kinsmen, or whatever they're called, the Kinsmen, they all get together, and they're all kind of like one, Like they, their objective is to do certain things. And I still think that that one, at least, is still men. And, and kind of, you know, there are certain other clubs that, you know, like, there could be, I don't know, there could be a duck hunting club. And everybody hunts ducks. So you're all out shooting ducks. Well, I don't know if you're a person who doesn't like shooting ducks, if you want to be part of that club, right? But God's grace in this is we have everybody how many people hunt here put your hand up you've hunted there's a bunch how many people don't hunt and don't like it put your hand up there you go okay we're all together so you're going to say you know what i'm not coming i'm not going to be part of this church because there's people here that hunt ducks no because the objective for us meeting together isn't the fact that we hunt or not the fact that we're going to get together is because of jesus That, folks, is something worth clapping about. That is amazing. That is amazing. Jesus is the one that pulls us together. We live for him together in community, played out in the local church. I'm going to ask the people that are going to be serving communion to come, and in in light of that, we're going to celebrate communion. You have the worship band come. We celebrate Jesus. It should be a celebration because of what he did for us.